Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest is a Six Sigma Green Belt professional and a passionate and transformative strategist. He's currently Vice President Operations and Delivery at Marsh McLennan. Please welcome to the program, Ciprian Poruchu. Ciprian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Ciprian, I know you have a, a lot of experience um, dealing with the front line. I know you have a lot of experience in change management and project management. Um, if you're familiar with our program, we always kind of like to kick the, kick the episode off with kind of an overarching question, which is, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless and frontline workforce today? Thank you for having me, first of all, Eugene. I uh, follow your uh, programs are very interesting. I was Thank you. very uh, um, interested in, uh, in reading and listening to the, to the previous um, interventions. Um, definitely have a lot of experience, never enough. I learn on the, on the <laughs> job every day. It's never something that I can say, wow, now I have a lot of experience, but definitely frontline workers, meaning the people in front of the line, the people that are interacting with the outside of the organization, if you want, they're on the front line, are the ones that are bearing probably the, the, the weight of any change that we're trying to, uh, to bring. So definitely uh, they should be put in a position to deliver the change expertly. So they should be uh, an expert in whatever tools, in whatever methods, in whatever processes that we uh, provide as, um, as a company. They should be having all the support and all the tools necessary to, to be an expert and deliver um, the products and the services that we provide our clients um, uh, seamlessly. And um, I think they are the ones who basically have to implement uh, the change and to transmit the change. So the ability to understand what is that they are delivered, the value that is being delivered, and um, the ability for them to also feedback the, um, the responses and the reactions that they receive from the markets for the clients, it's, it's, it's quite important, it's quite critical. So you use this word, which I love, you know, they're bearing the brunt of this phrase, they're bearing the brunt of the change. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like when you say they're bearing the brunt of it, what are the things that are affecting them when we talk about change initiatives, particularly like digital transformation change initiatives? What are some of the things that you see as maybe disruptive to them or impactful to them that kind of falls on their shoulders? So I see the change that occurs, I don't know, a new product, a new platform, a new solution as an iceberg. Obviously, there is a lot of work going on in preparing, designing, understanding how to best 
uh, produce it. But at the end of the day, what is seen outside is just the tip of the iceberg. So they are the ones that have to make sure that the tip of the iceberg is producing whatever effort we put in in the entirety of the iceberg. So this is why it's very, very important that they first understand the product, they um, uh, are able to, uh, to use it, and they are able to convey the value outside, where whether it's the, uh, the client, whether it's the partners, whatever, they are interacting. So this is where I'm saying they are critically and they're bearing the brunt of the change because they are the, the door, regardless of big is the, um, uh, the building, the door is what it is. Our client facing or externally facing colleagues are the door of the change. Do you see um, the, the customers, the, the clients you work with, are they understanding that? Do they have a better or a better understanding today, perhaps, that, you know, because you talk about this tip of the iceberg, right? Which I think is a, is a, is a great analogy, Chiprian. And as you said, I think there's a lot of time spent, right? Designing solutions or thinking about solutions, thinking about requirements, going out there and sourcing it, finding vendors who can, who can you know, provide us with the technology or solutions we need, right? And there's often, you know, that tip of the iceberg where the frontline workers sit, they're often involved maybe at the end of the process or, you know, or maybe that tip should be bigger than it is, I guess, is what I'm saying. I mean, are, are you seeing a, a, a realization among customers that maybe we have to think differently about how we approach this to lessen the burden or the brunt that the frontline workforce has to bear? Absolutely. And uh, I am not even sure that the client needs to know how big the iceberg is under the surface. Mm -hmm. What we are trying to, to, to convey is the value that we bring to them, regardless of how much work. I mean, if it's much smaller than the tip underneath, or it's a huge among us, 10 times, a thousand times bigger effort underneath, the client doesn't care. The only thing that, that the client cares is the value that comes through that. Now, on the other hand, the client-facing colleague and their involvement, it's only on the tip as opposed to not being involved on the entirety, that is a problem. And that definitely um, can be, uh, obviously, that they are not the operations, they are not the IT, they are not, obviously, they have their own function, no? and they are experts in conveying this value. This is why they are client-facing. But the I'm a recent convert, if you want, to the agile mentality, not necessarily mm -hmm. agile framework as a software delivery lifecycle um, methodology, but agile as a, as a mindset in which you get to deliver small value incrementally with a lot of loop, with a lot of feedback, with very short feedback. And this is where I'm seeing the client facing crucial in making sure that whatever in this huge underneath iceberg portion is something that delivers value to the clients because they are they know what the clients want and they know what they will appreciate so if they are involved appropriately obviously with the um, time consuming appropriate time consuming activities that they have the value will be much uh, uh, better perceived because uh, at the end of the day yes there is a objective value but it's also the perceived value that's great. And, and I, I'd love to come back and dig into a couple of things that you just talked about, particularly the feedback loop and the, 
the communication of value to the front line so they can communicate it to the to the customer. First, I think it might be worthwhile, Chiprian, is maybe give a little bit of background on yourself and, and Marsh McLennan. Some folks may not be familiar with Marsh McLennan, what you do and, and what the organization does. Sure. Glad to glad to do that. So we just uh, um, had our 150 <laughs> 50th anniversary. So it's a pretty nice. So you're uh, you're still in, for, in uh, kind of startup mode, right? Is what you're telling I'm me. I'm in right? a startup mode. Yes, it's a marshmallow planner. <laughs> it's it's just a startup fresh of 150 years yeah. uh, in vampire years. Uh, <laughs> but uh, definitely is um, is uh, um, something that. Uh, we, we try to do is resolve the risk management solution in a variety of uh, uh, ways. We have uh, different portions of the business that uh, Marsh, for example, takes care of risk management and insurance. We're a broker insurance. There is a reinsurance or the, the other level of the, of the insurer portion. We have um, uh, business units that uh, support the, the, the benefits, um, uh, workers' benefits, and others that work in consulting. So we have, it's a, almost a, a 360, if you want, um, servicing consulting uh, servicing company that delivers value to clients through various uh, methods. I, I sit within the uh, Marsh uh, business units of Marsh Buchanan, which is the insurance broker and the risk management solutions. And your role specifically, so kind of on a day-to-day basis, how are you kind of helping your, your clients? Yeah, so I am part of a, a group of program managers uh, at the global level uh, that operates a little bit like a SEAL team on a special missions. So we are not necessarily related to um, uh, the operations, the ops and uh, technology organization, or we're not related necessarily to a compliance or market or any other function. But at the same time, we go and solve uh, strategic initiatives and lead strategic initiatives in the most various way. I mean, uh, I've been working for a, for a new platform in one of the products. I've been working, I worked in a, a rebranding activities of uh, obviously 150 years. We, we went through a lot of organic and non-organic uh, uh, growth. So we acquired a number of brands and so we went through a rebranding globally. I went through a divestiture of uh, one of our uh, business units. So it's a very interesting position in which I have um, not necessarily a, a subject matter expertise in finance or marketing or operations, but I operate at the same time across every, everything. So it's a very privileged position and a servant position if you want, because you have to go humble into a new area and learn it as quick as possible, and then try to help uh, uh, them uh, deliver whatever uh, initiative is uh, important or strategic importance to uh, to Marsh as a whole or as a Marsh McLennan. Yeah, it's really interesting. You talked about this. You kind of called it the SEAL team. This who has this three hundred and sixty kind of view, right? Without necessarily being tied to one domain area or not. I mean, it certainly seems to me, particularly in in talking to many of our guests on the on the podcast, especially, is that you know we talk about change initiatives. They touch so many different areas of the business, even if it's, for example, as you said, if it's an M&A, say it's a, a merger or acquisition, or it's it's really a digital transformation change initiative, right? The digital transformation change initiative is going to touch multiple parts of the business. The M&A activity is going to touch 
you know, the existing Everything. digital environment, right? So <laughs> it, it kind of, it, it's, it seems increasingly that change management is a cross-discipline function in, in so many ways, or all, all change initiatives wind up being cross-functional, I guess is probably a better way to say it. Well, I would say it's a fundamental uh, feature that anyone should have. I mean, in the first place, beyond the, the subject matter expertise that each of us has, each of us have to be a little bit of a finance guy, a little bit of an ops guy, because we cannot live anymore and work in silos. So obviously, I personally, I became uh, uh, change management and project management uh, operative, if you want, subject matter expertise, now an expert in that. But I, at the same time, I see no one can do anything without the ability to construct and to set objectives and make a plan to reach them. And keep in mind that those plans that uh, each of us make needs to be adopted by someone. So change management activities, it's, it's something that nothing can be uh, construed and nothing be built without this uh, mentality of a project manager, if you want, or change management adoption. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. Years ago, I was an industry analyst years ago, and, and, and my CEO at the time, I think, you know, had a great analogy, you know, as we were looking at technology research, you know, but I think it's very true for what you said as well, which is the T-shaped individual, if you will, right, is you have to have depth of expertise, but you also have to be broad because your expertise touches on other domains as well, right, or extends to other domains. And I, and I, and I, and I as you were kind of talking through that, that's the image that came into my head is the, the idea of the T-shaped individual, so to speak. Yes, yeah, and, and that relates very, very much to the ability to be agile and the flatness of an organization, regardless of how historically one organization can be or from the size perspective can be. No, I mean, everything that it's uh, large and big needs a structure to stay in place. But the idea of having as shorter uh, distance to um, to have the communication uh, go from, from one end to another, uh, it's, it's crucial. So the ability to, um, to, to create those cross-functional teams in, in projects or initiatives, or even in product management. So not necessarily a project, but a product management being capable of understanding what the finance guy, the understanding what the sales guy, the distribution and the ops and the legal speak allows the team to bring that synergetic value, you know, the, the value that uh, goes beyond the sum of the individual expertise. So this is what I'm saying. Obviously, each of, one each of us has uh, their expertise, but the ability to communicate and to know uh, uh, enough to communicate their, the other language, it's very, very important. So speaking of languages, um, Cyprian, um, you're, where are you in the world today? Uh, where are you kind of doing our podcast from today? So today I'm in uh, uh, Montclair, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, my office is in uh, New York, in Manhattan. Um, I uh, follow as probably 99% of the white collar uh, workers uh, hybrid uh, schedule, sometimes in the office, sometimes uh, uh, from home. 
the type of projects that I'm um, I'm working on in most of the cases, whether I'm in the office or at home, are happening over uh, Zoom, over uh, a phone, or um, uh, remote. In, in any case, but I see the the value of those face-to-face -face, um, interactions, the richness of the of the communication that can occur only when you are in the same space. That definitely cannot. Um, um, cannot be over um, overstated. Yeah, and I can tell from your accent that you're not neither a native New Yorker nor a native New Jerseyan. Um, that, that so, is correct. Where are you originally from, Cipri? I'm uh, from Romania, scary Transylvania, and uh, uh, from Romania to to the states, I went through a number of other countries, from Italy, Albania, Switzerland, and eventually settled in. Uh, uh, in the States with uh, a brief break, going back to Italy um, and then coming back to New York uh, at this point. So, yes, my uh, my journey is a little bit uh, cross-Atlantic. So talk a little bit about your your professional journey um, a little bit. You know, how did you get involved in change change management? You know, what was your kind of path? You know, we always talk about you know, the people on our are the guests on our program are also innovators, right? They've kind of, you know, advanced up the ladder to being experts in their own field. So what was your journey to, to that? What was the path you took? Yeah. I mean, as probably many of, uh, many of us, no one has a, a linear uh, journey. I um, started actually as an electrical engineer. I mean, I studied for electrical engineer, but I uh, never built a, um, um, electrical uh, uh, company or anything like that. I went actually. My first uh, experience, professional experience, was in uh, in nonprofit, um, leading actually uh, projects in uh, in the developing uh, um, area. Um, uh, part uh, uh, training, part technology. So this is where my my technology background uh, helped. And uh, definitely, this is where I uh, I got a taste of um, of what it takes to put together so many different stakeholders and reach a common objective that were not was not common at the beginning of the of the journey. And definitely, the the nonprofit uh, uh, is very different than the for profit uh, stakeholders, if you want, because their inertia and their goals from governance. Uh, uh, financing partners, uh, end users, uh, other partners that are not necessarily driven by uh, the amount of uh, money that they're paid. Uh, it's it's a very, um, it, it set uh, the foundations of what is, what is the meaning of and the value of project management, the value in real, in, in the real meaning of the work. Yeah. And how long have you been with Marsh McLennan? Um, with Marsh McLennan, uh, I was already in New York working for um, um, Hedge Fund ID Consulting Group when I um, I got interested in a position for Marsh McLennan in Europe. So I went back in Europe, um, leading the PMO and governance in for Marsh McLennan in um, in continental Europe for four years, and then I returned to New York at the headquarters. Um, in 2017, so in total, probably nine years um, so far. I have with um, with Marsh. Okay, and I know I know already know you speak at least two languages, but I know it's more. How many languages do you speak? <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, my um, experience in Albania brought me the Albanian um, language and Italian because I worked and lived in Italy as well. And from my uh, early stages in life, uh, some French, but obviously the less I use it, the, 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 the more restrained the vocabulary, but I would say four and a half um, would be a good, uh, a good number. Where was it of all the places that you've lived during your, your travel during your career what was your kind of favorite country or city to live in i think every single place where i lived had its own uh, charm i enjoyed living the the, the beginning of life uh, um, in uh, in tirana in albania with a lot of expat a lot of dynamic uh, uh, relationships and a lot of people that i met uh, Milan, Italy, it's very, very nice to live and, uh, and grow a family. Um, definitely New York, it's uh, very, very hectic and very uh, um, full of passion. Uh, I'm enjoying life in suburbs of uh, New Jersey right now. Um, so everything had, had its own uh, uh, charm and its, uh, its beauty. That's great. So let, let's take it back a little bit to you know, some of the things we talked about uh, earlier. And as I said, I think there are a couple things you mentioned that I really wanted to kind of dive into. The first is, you know, I, I like how you kind of talk about um, an agile approach, right? Um, and I think it's really interesting is, like you said, it's not necessarily about agile, you know, product development or, or the, the, the agile framework per se, but I think a lot of different disciplines now have kind of taken on that mentality of being more agile and taking on some of the concepts associated with that. One of which, as you mentioned, is the feedback loop, right? The ability to get feedback quickly, incorporate that feedback and improve whatever you're doing, right? So talk a little bit about how you've tried to incorporate some of that learning, particularly around feedback into some change initiatives. And specifically, like, what are some of the techniques to incorporate feedback from that frontline worker or that frontline workforce to kind of improve how we're engaging with our customers? Yes. So I, I think the, um, I mean, it's, it's overused maybe the, the main, the most important asset of a, of a company are its people, no, are its employees. So the, the more you're able to leverage the, the value and the, the, the richness that every single employee has, the better position is the company. So, but obviously when you have a 70,000 uh, employees type of, of company, uh, it would be a cacophony to have everyone speak at the same time. This is where, this is where I'm bringing back the agile at the same time with the flatness of an organization. And if you cannot have a small organization because you have 70,000 uh, employees, then you chop it up and you divide the work, whether it's uh, the team size, the, the, the people involved, whether it's scope, scope, you chop it up in pieces that are chewable, no? And you 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 bring the teams to a level of uh, number of members that can communicate between them. And this is where the um, the the art of identifying the right stakeholders, representative stakeholders that can participate. People from the tip of the iceberg, people expert in in the deep diving, people expert in in circulating the, the 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 base of the iceberg. So all these people have their own value. If we are able to bring them together, and have these small teams that can collaborate 
on each deliverable, one deliverable at a time, then we can deliver a value. And if we're not able to deliver a value for that small little uh, piece of work that we've done, it's easily uh, um, um, removed, meaning you lose very little if you went into the wrong direction, as opposed to having a huge transformation, three-year transformation at the, uh, the end of which you realize, oops, maybe we went in the wrong direction. Well, you lost a lot more than if you lost two weeks or a month worth of, uh, of work. So this is where agile communication and short feedback, short loop feedback, uh, it's very important. Do you see more, um, I mean, is your perception that more companies are trying to kind of pull in those stakeholders directly from the front line to get that feedback? I mean, one of the challenges that we've heard often is that, and the realities of just the frontline workers these days is they're so, um, they're so stretched out, right? Resources are stretched thin. They are so busy that it's even hard to kind of take them from the field to incorporate them into some of these small teams, you know, the collaborative teams to kind of pull that information. I, I'm really kind of curious in terms of, you know, how we how we balance those two things, right? Which is, listen, these people are in front of our customers, right? It's, it's hard to kind of pull them in, but we need to pull them in. Mm -hmm. Well, it's... <laughs> We're, we're talking about B2B, B2B2C, B2C, yeah. and so on. But at the end of the day, it's people to people. I mean, you have involved people and you have to convince people to adopt a solution, to buy a, a, a product and anything else. So if we are capable of reducing this complexity you know, of a B2B or a B2B2C or whatever other model to um, a relationship between people, then it's much easier to even involve uh, the frontline workers because something it's always for them. So uh, even if it sounds like a little bit of an egoistic standpoint, but what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. Question addressed to every single member, individual and individually and as a group, it's crucial. Because if you are able to convince him, not only, hey, your bonus would be bigger if you get engaged, I mean, if you engage in projects and so on, in addition to your uh, day job, no, if it's beyond that, but if you are capable of um, bringing in the value that personally for, for that person, the frontline uh, uh, worker and their relationships with the clients and with the partners, then the perspective changes. I'm, I don't have to convince him to him or her to come into the project. They will want to communicate because they don't want to be part of selling a solution that has no head, no feet. I mean, because it doesn't respect what he knows, he, she knows what the client wants or what the market wants. So it's, it's understanding their feedback. This is what I'm saying. Again, feedback in terms of transmitting the strategy, where do we want to get, whether it's digital trust strategy, growth strategy, whatever strategy we have as an organization, and have the frontline workers feedback instead the responses that they get from the markets, from the clients, from the partners. This is where the value starts really being created. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you were just talking about, I think reflects other things you've heard. In fact, it, it brings to mind, um, uh, another conversation we've had on this podcast with Monique Jordan, who talked about, listen, frontline workers, they want to be heard, right? Too often, they're not being listened to. They want to be heard. They yes. want to share. Because I think you, you kind of said it's, you know, hey, this isn't what I know, 
right? You know, I want to tell you what I know, what I know from my relationships I have with our customers. And I, I think that's a, it's, it's a really important point for, um, for everyone to kind of keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's also, if you think of as a change manager expert, obviously I have to coordinate all this no? And the enthusiasm that you have or lack of it from all the people involved, including the frontline uh, workers, including the, the client-facing uh, colleagues, if you want, you have to understand what is the level they are starting with, meaning reticence or uh, distrust or you know whatever they, 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 they give me, it's only additional burden for me or over-enthusiastic, wow, this will solve every single mm -hmm. problem. I'm going to go and sell it because it's like perfect. So there has to be a balance in, in managing both expectation, very low expectation and very high expectation. It can be an impediment, become an impediment when you have super high expectation and then the result is something lower. So it's, it's very important to gauge that and then ensure that, that this communication occurs both from the organization to them or project to, to, to them and from them into the organization. It's a really good point, Chip, uh, because I think you know, it's, it's, it's funny, a lot of times on this podcast and, and other conversations I've had, there's always that um, expectation that the frontline is going to be, I think you used the term reticence, right? They're going to be reticent to adopt technologies. It's just going to be a burden on me or technology or whatever change initiative it may be, right? This is just going to disrupt me. But I also think you mentioned something that I haven't heard others talk about um, yet very succinctly, which is, listen, in some ways they may have very high expectations. They may say, Hey, great. You're finally going to solve all, all my problems. Yep. And, and I, I like that concept of, listen, we've got to manage expectations either way. We've got to set realistic expectations, really communicate what we're trying to accomplish and, and what the realities might be on the ground. And I, I think that's a really important point. Correct, correct. And, and again, the best way to win over and to uh, rise the adoption of, of a product is to get those people involved in making it. Instead of selling them and presenting them and training them into something that has been made by the greatest minds inside organization, uh, is to involve them and to get their feedback and feedback early on. Now, this is where my best... Uh, uh, training or if you want change management uh, uh, methods are involving those people in um, uh, both providing feedback like general feedback hey we're going to be doing this so what do you think about it what are your challenges now but also involve them in the in the user accepted testing i mean in in the technical part if you want of yes. building a product no so if you get them and they get a say they get to say what they like and what they don't like you get their engagement. They cannot reject it because it's already theirs. Talk a little bit about, you just mentioned something, journaling, I think you, you talked about. Can you talk a little, just expand on that a little bit. It's, it's interesting. Uh, journaling. Did you say journaling or, or maybe it was journeys? I couldn't, maybe I, I caught no, you no, wrong. Jur journeys. No, yeah. no, no, journeys. Oh, so I mean, understand, understanding the their journey. Yes. They're the, the frontline worker journey. I get that. Yeah. No, I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, with making sure that, that they're not just at the end. No, they are represented the tip of the iceberg, but if we can get them a little bit underwater uh, before it gets to the tip, it gets above water, this is where uh, we're going to get them much more engaged. 
Yeah, absolutely. The other thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of circle back to was this concept of value perception and communication um, for the frontline, right? Which is, I, I think you, you uh, paraphrase kind of what you talked about earlier, which is we've got to be able to communicate effectively what the value is, the frontline, so they can then communicate to the customer or whoever that they're touching ultimately. Um, so talk about it, a little bit about that. Some of the techniques, you know, how do we communicate with them? How do we show them the value of things? Um, what are some of the things that you've seen that have worked and what are some of the things that maybe have been less effective? So any product or solution try to solve a, a problem, a, a bridge a gap, no? And you cannot invent those gaps. These gaps are either real or they're not. They're not like what you design at the, at the table or plan at the table. So this is where it's very important that this part of the uh, engagement with, uh, uh, obviously with the clients directly, but through the client facing colleagues occurs pre even pre-design no so you identify the problem you identify the uh, the need and the pain points and this is where you come with the solution to those pain points and this is where they get engaged in providing this uh, um, uh, this uh, enunciation if you will statement of uh, of a problem that you will as an organization try to solve with a solution with a uh, technology or with a process or with a, a product with anything uh, uh, we are you know um, doing currently you know? so this is where their contribution comes in providing real feedback in terms of what is the gap what is the solution i mean that is the problem that needs a solution yeah so it goes back to what you were talking about earlier right is you need to involve them early so you can identify the real problems and i think that is probably key too which is you know there may be a, a perception of what the problem is but by bringing in the right stakeholders you can really clarify that right maybe drill down and say no 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 this is the real problem, right? Or here's the nuance involved in that problem we're trying to solve. And then once they've, you know, and that's part of helping designing the solution, as you said, right, is identifying the problem before you even try to identify the solution to it. Correct. And sometimes the the, uh, the end user is not necessarily a client outside the uh, the organization. It's maybe the colleagues. You now it's something to support the work of the colleagues in the middle office, on back office, or even the client facing, but not necessarily in direct work with them. And there, and uh, the same also for the for the clients themselves or the partners. There is the real problem, but then there is also an arrogance that says, "I know what the real problem is." Now, as opposed to what is the perception. Well, we have to address both because we don't know with certitude what is the real problem and what is just the perceived that the perception can create as much desire or um, or rejection as a real problem or a real uh, uh, issue now so definitely the perception has to be addressed from the get-go from the beginning through the design and obviously in the in the phases of uh, translation into production so i'd love to switch gears just slightly it's not massive switching gears, but talking a little bit about, because we've talked about frontline workers and, you know, and, you know, and, and very often I'm interested in this because I've, I've, I've talked to other change professionals about this and, and gotten some, some different opinions, which is what makes change initiatives or what are some of the unique challenges that frontline fa workers face that may be different than 
knowledge or information workers, right? Or what are some of the similarities between them? What are some of the differences? You know, as you approach a, a change project and you've been involved in a variety of different ones that involve, I'm sure, many different end user stakeholders, right? Do you see differences in, you know, frontline workers versus information workers? Do you take different approaches when, when dealing with change initiatives that impact those two different stakeholder groups? Um, in principle, no. In principle, they are uh, people with pain points in uh, looking for a solution. So in principle, the, the same uh, methods and the same methodology can be applied to anyone. So I just attended a, a, a training with, um, with a group of people in terms of uh, um, agile coaching. No? Mm -hmm. And um, the person who was uh, directing the course was talking about uh, what is a coach and do you need to be a, a subject matter expertise in order to coach someone no and he said no i can coach a, a surgeon i can coach um an engineer i can coach a ceo i don't need to know the subject matter expertise of that person to guide that person and to discover what is the solution that maybe the person itself knows because it is uh, at the end of the day a subject matter expertise in in that particular domain to guide them through a, a framework of a question and a supporting, not guidance, but a, a coaching. This is what the coaching is. So I see the role of change management experts almost like a coach. No? So whether it's a information internal in back office, middle office, people that support the infrastructure, people that support the functions versus someone who's in direct contact and 90% of the time with the clients and 10% maybe with the internal of the organization, I think they face uh, substantially and essentially the same problems. It's simply the their own target users are different. You know, the mm -hmm. internal knowledge workers are obviously dealing with, with some other um, uh, end users than the, the client facing and the frontline workers, but substantially is the same uh, thing. When it comes to communication and training, which I know um, is certainly an important element to the success of any change initiative, um, are there differences there? So how we communicate with like just the so, you know, I think you use this term like in principle, right? You know, fundamentally, there, yes. there isn't a difference. In practicality, there, there may be some practical challenges, right? Oh, when we're for, dealing with it. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, obviously, when you, when you write an email to the colleagues within your department, you, uh, you know, attach a certain level of formality and you uh, keep in mind the, the context that is the, your department. When you send an email within the company, you obviously address the, the particular uh, company that it is. When you address externally, obviously you represent also the company. You don't represent only that project. You don't represent only the department. So obviously the, the, the tone, the context, the, uh, if you want, the context is uh, it's much richer when you uh, communicate outside and uh, the dependencies and the variables that you have to keep in mind uh, are probably uh, richer or definitely different than when you have to deliver a project that affects internal colleagues only. So definitely the, the content of it um, is different and because the target audience is different the market will react differently than internal colleagues now when you talk to a client you don't talk the same way you talk to a colleague now so it's it's definitely the 
the principles are the same. The methods are definitely adjusted for the, the target audience. Yeah. Context matters, I think, is, is a great point. You know, you know, you talked about the way we talk to them and how we talk to them, right? Because channel may be different, right? How we can communicate with them Absolutely. and how we can reach them and, and all that is, is critical to, to keep in mind as well. Absolutely. When you talk to a client, you don't talk only to the client, you talk to the, your competitors as well. So obviously, when you communicate to your colleagues, you don't communicate to, to your competitors. You focus on, on the colleagues. When you go outside their multitude, you talk to the regulators at the same time, you talk to the competitors, you talk to your uh, uh, partner. So definitely, it's a, it's a much richer um, uh, made medium, if you want, because of the context. Yeah. Um, Chip Dane, before we, we close out today, I, you know, obviously you're very passionate about what you do. Obviously you enjoy what you, you, you've been doing and it, it comes through in the conversation. Um, if you had to pick one thing about what you do, particularly around, around managing change and organizational change, what is it that, what's the one thing you, you really, really like about it? Um, Working with people, the people are always different. Even if it's the same person that I'm working from one project to another, or from one year to another, it's a different person. So getting to build those relationships and based on the last years or last project relationship, grow into uh, uh, the next level and knowing and uh, understanding and working with, that's probably the most uh, uh, rewarding one. Obviously, using shiny tools and technologies and innovation, <laughs> it's always like uh, tantalizing for, for the brain. But I mean, working with people and uh, uh, overcoming difficulties because, uh, you know, uh, technologies, uh, processes is one thing. People are complex beasts. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting and worthwhile. That's great. Um, Ciprian, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best place to do that? Is LinkedIn a, a, a great place to reach out? I think LinkedIn is the, the, the best way that doesn't change. So it's, it's definitely a best uh, place to reach out. And if people want to learn more about Marsh McLennan, they can do so www.marshmclennan.com, correct? That is correct. Ciprian, I really want to thank you for joining today's program. It's been a great conversation and, and certainly... Um, I'm sure our audience is, is grateful for your sharing your thoughts and your, your wealth of experience. I'm grateful for the invite. It was really interesting talking to you and uh, hoping to keep, uh, keep in touch. Absolutely. Um, okay, uh, let's wrap up here. I hope this uh, conversation has been as informative and interesting to those listening as it has been for me. Um, if you have enjoyed uh, the podcast, please share and rate it. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front line. Uh, and a friendly reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, um, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn to share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode.